Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday, the 8th of August, and with much debate and a discussion from now till 11 a.m., this is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Minister with Responsibility for Higher Education is giving consideration to make classes on sexual consent compulsory for students in college. It follows a nationwide survey of students which found that 70% of females receive unwanted sexual attention while at college. Not surprising, perhaps, if you consider that most young people believe it is possible to consent to having sex after drinking as much as 14 pints of beer or a bottle of vodka. Attitudes towards sex are learned by many on the internet, with half of all boys watching porn aged between just 10 and 13 years. No wonder a distorted impression of what is appropriate and inappropriate sexual behaviour is being formed. A public meeting on internet safety is being held in Drogheda's D Hotel this Thursday evening. It's being hosted by Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, who's here with me this morning. And a lot of people listening to us uh, this morning would say that it's just gone out of hand at this stage. It's an extremely important topic. It's hugely damaging, particularly to very young children, as you say, exposed to uh, not just pornography, but also to all sorts of personal abuse, uh, humiliations, sexting, all of these issues. Mm. So it's hugely damaging to young people growing up. I was and watching a, 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 a lot of young people on television last night saying that they were unhappy with how sex education was dealt with uh, through the schools. So uh, they watched pornography to try and learn. Uh, I thought that's a handy excuse. Well, I think the point is that it's, it's a crazy way of thinking, isn't it? Well, obviously, if they felt that way, that that's wrong, obviously, from my course, perspective. Yeah. Mm. But I think the point is that... Uh, what, what, what's wrong? Why have well, we I think, failed? Well, I mean, I, I'm a parent. Well, obviously, mm. I'm a grandparent now. Uh, but uh, I think that, uh, obviously, the primary responsibility is with the parent in the home to rear their children in the best possible way and to keep them mm. safe, happy, and obviously able to get on in life and perform to the best of their abilities. And I feel that, obviously, educating parents and helping parents to make decisions mm. and helping young people and putting in place protocols, be it in your home uh, or wherever it is, that, that your young child, I'm talking about, you know, people mm. very young, obviously, you talk 8, 9, 10, 12, 11, 13-year-olds, mm. because they're very Who vulnerable. Who think that what you see on porn films is, true, is yeah. normal sexual behaviour? Yes. Yeah, and, and the point is that uh, education to sexuality mm. is much broader than that. It's about education 
into relationships. It's about how to develop as a person fully in every aspect of your life and how to relate to other people. Mm. And I think they're the issues, obviously, which, which concerns every parent. And I think every teacher as well, because I was a teacher for many years, and I feel teachers have a very useful role in terms of making, you know, making sure that young people, uh, you know, that, that they're able to manage all of these issues mm. that are coming at them day after uh, day. Uh, and teachers looking to ban phones in classrooms. Yes, I think that seems yeah. a very important decision that a mm. lot of schools have made. Uh, obviously, when you're in school, you're there to learn. You're not there to be looking at your videos or texting your friends or whatever. So yeah. a modern life mm. is so complex for young children. I mean, mm. I have a nine-year-old, I'm sorry, a nine-month-old grandchild. <laughs> and yeah. She takes yeah. my phone and she yeah. she's flicking mm. at the screen. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if they're that young, well, that's, uh, it, exactly. that's what's yeah. happening. That's yeah. what they see. And we all have a phone. Yeah. I mean, you have your phone there. You were putting it on silent before we put the microphones up. I was putting mine on silent. Yes, uh, yeah. They're important tools. Uh, we all use them for different reasons. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, the teachers are complaining that they're watching those videos or whatever yes. it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe they're watching porn uh, in yeah. the classroom. Maybe they're uh, sending messages uh, to someone else in the classroom, calling them names. But that uh, quite often happens. Bullying, cyberbullying, mm. sending texts, photographs, groups of people ganging up on a particular individual. Mm. They can do that without no, the person who's receiving this message doesn't know who these people are. They can put up fake IDs. So it's hugely influential in our lives. It can be hugely beneficial and it can be extremely damaging. Mm. And I think our meeting is just to air just the, the broad issues and to make people aware from, obviously, from the Youth Council. <coughs> excuse me. Mm. We have the President of the National Youth Council coming down. I think mm. that he'll give a very good uh, constructive perspective on, on what we need to do, how you make your children mm. safe. Uh, it, and, and at the same time, use the internet to learn, to you know, to improve yourself. To there's mm. so many good things on the internet, but obviously there are some very evil things that can happen there as yeah. well. And Ian Power, uh, who will uh, be speaking at, at the event, very in, much in touch with young people as uh, the director of Spunout.ie yes, and as yeah. the president of uh, the National Youth Council of Ireland. But does anybody have the answers to the questions that we all have at this stage? Because it is a dilemma for most people, isn't it? it? Is. I think you have to learn to trust your children. Obviously, mm. I'm not saying parents yeah. don't, but you have to have a trusting relationship with them. You ha- you have to know and discuss. But maybe with parents them. are being too trusting, are they? Um, perhaps. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to say they are or they aren't. But like, obviously, clearly, but, but, you but must it, protect but, your but child. It, but it is a question that you we must all protect need to your ask child. Ourselves. Yeah. I, I of mean, course, yeah. I'm not, I'm not asking you to be judgmental or anything. No, no, judgmental that Michael, for that yeah. matter. But uh, perhaps it's a question that we need to ask ourselves: Are we being yeah. too trusting of what our child is doing with we this are. computer that we've given we them. And, and, and particularly uh, quite often a very young child can go to bed with their computer, mm. with their laptop yeah. or with their phone, phone. Yeah. and you don't mm. know what's going on. And one one thing that is suggested is that they leave their computer downstairs, that they don't bring it to bed mm. and if they're talking about how will I wake up you buy them an alarm clock and that's it that you have protocols mm. in place, that you talk to them and be with them and say well what are you looking at mm. now and what are you learning and you know it's, mm. it's the interreaction between the parent and the child. And, and I think that probably it's was easier important. back in the day when the children <coughs> didn't have smartphones, when they yes, yeah. were at risk because they were on the computer. If they had a computer in the bedroom, that was probably a bad idea. Now, if you say, don't bring your phone to bed, well, then maybe they'll sleep better. <coughs> but it doesn't prevent them from getting onto porn sites or bullying somebody at other times of the day. No, it doesn't, of know. course. But at least mm. at least if you have a, a code of practice in your home, mm. there are things that we do and the things that we don't do. And this, mm. is, this is what we agree as a parent and as a child or yeah. as a student, whatever. Mm. I'm talking again about young, very young people, that these are the protocols mm. that are in place. And the other thing is that we tend to leave our children quite often.
off into their devices literally mm. and I think we need to turn off the screens turn off the televisions and let's say once a week to have a, have a, have a night mm. out a chat out or mm. go out for a walk or get yeah. away from the technology so you can develop but, I mean, let's, call a spade, let's call a spade a spade here uh, because there's many aspects uh, <coughs> to the internet uh, and child protection but uh, I mean would you be inclined to sit down with a 10 year old and talk about oral sex anal sex group sex same sex these type of things? Well, I would think the key thing is that you want your child to develop, uh, obviously, sexually in, in mm. a mature and a responsible way. But it, it, I, there, I, there I, isn't I, a natural <coughs> inclination to do that with a child so young. I mean, I, I, no, I, of course. I, well, I think I'd be very reluctant yeah. to do it myself. Well, but, I w- but the, <coughs> the other point yeah. is yeah. that they have a computer yeah. and if they're getting on the phone and yeah. looking at these things on the phone, of course. then they believe it's normal because an adult hasn't spoken to Well, them. I think that's why the key to it all is, is to learn to develop relationships Relationships. It's the broader, uh, the broader growth in the young person is, is that you're developing as a person who are your friends and you know how do you how do you relate to them, and then obviously the sexuality is an important issue as well. Mm. And obviously when people uh, approach 12, 13, 14, it's a hugely important issue in their mm. lives. They have to be obviously they, they have to find out things, but they have to find out things in the best possible healthy uh, environment. Which and if parents have a mm. question about that, I would say the schools can certainly help and obviously uh, youth councils and different constructive good websites can but clearly mm. clearly and absolutely young people are and will be exposed to all of these other issues Look, I, I mean and it, I think it, it's to make them safe it, and I, it's make, I, make parents aware make them mm. make your child as safe as you can uh, and I think most parents want to do that yeah, and I, 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 I doubt there's very many young children listening to us uh, this morning the radio might be on while they're there because of the holidays but if their <coughs> parents are listening to us and they're looking at their children uh, I, I doubt there's many parents listening to us this morning who believe that their young son, uh, aged between 10 and 13, is watching hardcore porn on their phone. But half of boys are. I know, and that's a huge issue, obviously. You know, and, and that's yeah. not really the parents' fault. This is a, a problem of it's the society growing it's, in. It's, isn't it's, it? Yeah. it is, and things are changing so quickly, mm. and there's so many different websites and apps and so mm. on. Even if you are friends with your son or your daughter mm. on Facebook, that doesn't mean you know what they're up to because they can do all sorts of other things mm. without you knowing at all. And it's so I think building a trusting, mm. it's building a trusting mm. relationship uh, with, with with your children. Um, you know, and I'm not setting myself as a. <laughs> Uh, an example, uh, an example yeah, of this, yeah, but yeah, yeah. like it's all about loving your children, making sure that they can express mm-hmm. themselves, making oh, sure absolutely. And I that think their emotions develop. I think we all in the best want to do that. Way. I suppose yeah. this is the uh, talking to benefit other of the conversation because we all want to do it, uh, yes, but yeah. we all feel uh, as though we don't have the wherewithal to do it. Uh, well, we don't. We don't. We're, we're, we're adept we, to a large. Yeah, we are, be, and, yeah. Be, and because what we mm. saw, like what is, I know that 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 dispatches program which I saw. I mean, the appalling stuff that was on Facebook that you can see. Mm. You at that time children. But we know abused. it's on it. But the fact is, children they're not taking fu- it down. No, uh, no, I know that. No, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I accept that yeah. totally. Now they're saying mm. they've mm. taken down those after six years. Mm. They they took down that assault mm. on that poor child. But like you know, eternal vigilance, eternally mm. being aware and being aware and talking and mm. listening. Uh, that's the only thing you can do, and yeah. make sure that that you know where your children are going. Well, you, I mean, it means going now on the internet, as yeah. opposed to, mm. because mm. you can sit in your room and you can communicate immediately with mm. God knows anybody anywhere. Well, ask your ten-year-old child yeah. how they have four hundred friends. Yes, you know, yeah. I mean yeah. they don't. They, they don't. No. They, they, they they've interacted with four hundred people on the internet, and you could take it that they don't know three hundred and eighty of them. Well, that 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 could well be true. I mean, most young children would know, obviously. Mm the kids in their 
street. And their school, yeah. And, and, and their, their school, and, and, and that yeah, would be yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But, but it is absolutely right. That's mm. why it's so important mm. to keep your privacy settings on Facebook mm. as a child. And, mm. and you don't say where, you, you don't put in your GPS or mm. where you actually, where you physically are. And that, and that, and that you, 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 know, you just really, it's the relationship between you and your parents and between you and your friends, uh, the support of the school, uh, you know, constructive mm. interaction, the school with, through the appropriate teachers on all of those issues I think are hugely important. We're living in a constantly changing world. The challenges are going to get more, not less. And I think that, you know, by having this meeting on Thursday mm. night is helpful in, in, in having this debate, I think, is very important. Mm-hmm. And do you believe uh, that uh, the root of the other problems that we heard about in the survey yesterday, the inappropriate mm. uh, sexual approaches to both men and women, yes, uh, in particular yeah. women, uh, the attitude towards what is consensual sex and what is not, that you can con- consent after a bottle of vodka. Most people wouldn't be able to talk after a bottle not of vodka. Tall, yeah. You, yeah, you well, that's hugely abusive in terms mm. of your physical But is that, ro- is that rooted, do you believe, in this uh, early use of the internet at 10, 11, 12, 13 well, I think years it, of age? It could well be. Children are starting to learn uh, about... <clears throat> What is I think the first thing Michael, I think it's respect. It's mm. it's about respect for yourself, respect mm. for other people. It's it's about the ethos in the home. Mm. It's about having confidence in yourself and your ability to develop relationships. How to relate to yeah. a person of the opposite sex. Mm. How to how to talk about these issues. Mm. Obviously, uh, and clearly, obviously, alcohol is hugely damaging in the context of of mm. many things. And it's not just obviously what you're talking about mm. there. Is people do really unbelievable things mm. under the influence of alcohol so mm. it's about learning to respect yourself it's about you know it's about being sensible about mm. things and obviously well, but I think yeah, relationships yeah. and I know I know that people can be very unhappy when they're mm. young they can feel unloved they can feel out of things yeah. they can feel because they have uh, a physical spot on their mm. face that everybody's looking at oh, them yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that there's a lots of pressure on teenagers that's, to be that, perfect in every yeah, way that's natural and, uh, yeah. and, but, and, and yeah. will be forever more the problem these yeah. days is that if you have a spot in your face uh, yeah. perhaps the whole class is talking about it absolutely yes yeah and that's the other point is yeah. I've never, never comment negatively yeah. about anybody. Mm. Never say a bad thing about anybody. It's all about, about respect, positive. isn't it? Well, well, it is all about to respect, do with sex yeah. or, or, or yeah. name-calling or whatever And I think is. parents, I know parents are very concerned. I mean, mm. uh, every parent I taught are deeply concerned. And obviously everybody hopes for the best mm. for their child. And they want to keep them as, as protected as possible. At the same time, mm. they know that they have to grow away from you. So it's managing that. Mm. And I think... You know, people go through a huge trauma. In their what lives. about yourself? How, how do you manage on the internet? Uh, I'm sure, um, like yeah. all politicians, uh, you're subject to abuse. Uh, well, we get lots of abuse. Yeah. Well, mm. I think if, mm. if somebody uses the F word or uh, a crude or abusive term, mm. I say goodbye and that's it. Mm. But I'm happy to take to take uh, conflicting mm. points of view, different points mm. of view, strong points of view. I don't. I don't have, have a problem. Have you been threatened or anything? Um, like I've been. That? I've been um, one appalling gentleman who didn't live in Drogheda mm. wished me to die. Of a particular sort of cancer mm-hmm. within X amount, and I found that disturbing. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, but I just took him off, and I just, mm-hmm. you know, you reach a stage where you say, "Look, I'm not, I'm not going to go down mm-hmm. that road. I just get rid of them, and that's it." Mm-hmm. Like people want to debate with you, that's fine. If they want to disagree with you, they're fine. Mm-hmm. They want to argue with you, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's that's constructive engagement. Mm-hmm. Abuse, Have people threaten your family. Uh, not, not that I'm aware of, no. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, you do feel like you can sometimes you take an unpopular stand, mm-hmm. and I have taken unpopular stands mm-hmm. in the past and um, you get awful mm. stuff but look you just learn to live it and the one thing I know that 
there are some people who will abuse lots of politicians, but if you go back through their friends, if mm. you can, mm. you'll find out they're all just a small bunch of, mm. of, of agitated, uh, you know, people who are maybe politically motivated mm. or of negative. Yeah, but there know, is a problem there then there uh, is a problem as well, because is, yeah. you can present yourself in a, a different way and it can seem, particularly to <clears throat> younger, uh, more naive minds, uh, that sure. there's a, a movement of sorts yes, in of course, a certain yeah. direction. And really it is a, a small few people who are tapping away at their keyboard. Yeah the, yeah, the warrior, the keyboard yeah, warriors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was huge abuse, uh, just huge fake news. Mm-hmm. There's political. Uh, obviously, you, you have political fake news, particularly, or you have people saying things, mm. and people believing things are absolutely untrue. Mm. And think trusting the sources that you go to as an individual, you know, making sure that you get your news from mm. reputable websites and not be listening to half these crazy yeah. guys. Oh, I know. Think they're I, know. The I, I, I don't pay attention. I saw, I saw something the other day. I said Fergus O'Dowd is a great guy. And I thought. <laughs> I, you I, didn't put that up, Michael, did you? I, I, I thought I'm, I'm not listening to that. <laughs> well, I didn't yeah, see it yet, so I better, uh, well, I better, you better tell me where it is. <laughs> it's been a bit of a heavy conversation, so I'm hoping that lightens the mood a little bit yeah, for us. Uh, like but it's a, a very important subject, Thank and you, uh, you'll be uh, meeting sure, yeah. with people on Thursday. And we, we've, we've put yeah. this booklet out to every school and every primary school in the county. Oh, yeah, cyber safety. Cyber safety. People so can see that. You we did that before, on, before yeah. summer, yeah. and mm-hmm. I think uh, the more awareness parents have and the more awareness young people have and the positive constructive engagement uh, with people like Ian is very, very important. Okay, so this is a, a public meeting. It's Any, a public meeting, Anybody yeah. interested who wants to come along, talk on, or listen yeah, or whatever it is? To the hotel at 8 o'clock on Thursday night, they're more than welcome. Thank you indeed, figures it out. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very, very much. As you've probably been hearing, the HPV vaccine, which is currently available to teenage girls, is uh, to be extended to, to boys next year. We're joined by Paul Gordon, Policy and Public Affairs Manager with uh, the Irish Cancer Society, to talk about this. Good morning, Paul. Uh, there's always uh, a level of cynicism surrounding vaccinations uh, and indeed no different with this one. Uh, perhaps uh, you could highlight the benefits of uh, the HPV vaccine to our listeners. Uh, well, the HPV vaccine, I suppose, um, in effect, uh, ensures that uh, women, uh, currently girls who are vaccinated in schools in the first year of school, are uh, protected against the HPV virus, uh, which is the cause of uh, a number of uh, cancers uh, in women is, is the main cause of about 9 and 10 uh, uh, cervical cancers, uh, which uh, can often be particularly uh, um, uh, a particularly nasty cancer to, 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 to have, uh, as we've seen so, so clearly this year from mm. uh, many of the women who, who were affected by the the cervical check uh, controversy. Indeed, uh, I think the success of uh, the HPV vaccine in Australia has led to a situation where they hope uh, to eliminate cervical cancer in the near future. Yes, yeah, so this vaccine, it's, it's, it's very rare that we have an opportunity to say that uh, any, any particular cancer will be eradicated, but we do have an opportunity in the coming decades um, if the, the uptake of the vaccine is sufficiently high to, to, to all but eradicate uh, cervical cancers and other uh, HPV-related cancers, if it is extended mm. uh, to, to boys. So currently, uh, there are 420 people diagnosed a year with with cancer in in Ireland with cancers related to to the HPV virus. Uh, 85 of those are men. Uh, 335 of those are women. Uh, so so obviously at the moment, um, women uh, who have been uh, vaccinated since 2009, 2010, when the, when the vaccination program started for girls. Uh, are, are protected. However, uh, obviously there was a, a significant drop-off in the uptake among girls in recent years, which has 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 come with significant risk for those mm. people who, who haven't taken the vaccine. 
Um, thankfully, that's risen slightly in recent years. But what Exciting Its Employees does, along with uh, protecting those boys, it, it ensures that there's uh, an increased level of herd immunity. So currently, the vaccination rate for girls is well below uh, 80%, uh, which means herd protection is less likely to be effective. And it's a, a little bit like the measles vaccine or one of these other vaccines where you get this herd immunity. The more people who take it, the less incidents there are of it. Uh, and there was a very high uptake, as you say, initially at 87%. That dropped off to 50% because of health scares uh, that young girls were claiming that they had suffered as a result, indeed, their parents. And there's been very uh, strong online campaigns against this uh, uh, particular vaccine? There have, um, and they, they had a significant impact on the uptake of the vaccine. Um, I, I think what it uh, should be clear to your listeners that uh, obviously many of these people have had uh, have had um, an autoimmune deficiency uh, syndromes. Uh, there have been significant um, studies across millions of people worldwide which have shown absolutely no connection. Uh, between uh, those illnesses that the girls have been suffering and the HPV vaccine, the the, the number yeah. of autoimmune immune, uh, uh, illnesses uh, within the Irish population is not above what it was before uh, mm. the vaccine and it was introduced, and it, it is at a normal level that would be expected within within the population. And we're having this conversation, of course, in the context of the ongoing scandal relating uh, to cervical check and uh, the screening for cervical cancer and how that screening has failed some women, of course. If we were in a position, as they are in Australia, where you had almost eliminated uh, cervical cancer, you wouldn't have that problem. And this vaccine has the potential to do that. Well, it does, of course, and, and I mean, it, it will take uh, time before the full effects can be can be seen, of course. Uh, but but already in Australia, as you say, they, they are seeing they are seeing the impact of that, and that's something that would be really uh, would 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 go a long way to, towards all but eradicating cerv- cervical cancer here. Uh, we've seen clearly mm-hmm. the devastating effects from the, the case of many uh, of the women, like Vicky Phelan, uh, Emma Emma mm-hmm. McLahuna and uh, Ruth Morrissey have have brought forward in in recent months um, and the impact that's had on their lives and their families. And that's that's part of the reason why we're so so strongly advocating for the introduction of uh, HP vaccine for both boys and girls and that people continue and that girls continue to to, to get the vaccine because it's... it's, Mm -hmm. um, a very important measure in preventing cervical cancer. Very good. It's obviously food for thought uh, for the parents of young girls going into the autumn when they return to school and uh, for parents of boys uh, in 2019. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning, Paul Gordon, Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the Irish Cancer Society. Now, Wednesday morning, meaning the local newspapers are in the shops and Maggie McGuire is here to take a look at what's on the front pages of some of uh, the local today and uh, you're going to start with the Drawed Independent. Yeah I will as we said yesterday on the programme the countdown to the FLA is well and truly underway and that's pretty evident from this week's edition of the Drawed Independent. Um, coverage of next week's event is uh, dominating the publication it also includes a free 32 page 
uh, flyer supplement, which is packed with interviews and event listings, along with loads of other um, like public notice mm. information. Yeah. It's, it's essentially like a one-stop shop for the flyer. So basically, if you're planning on coming to Drogheda next week at all, try and get your hands on a copy because it will mm. be pretty essential. Yeah, it might be difficult uh, because I imagine everybody in Drogheda will want a, a copy of this week's paper, especially for the flyer supplement uh, to have at hand, let alone for people outside of the town. Well, that's true. Well, in fairness now, I have to add as well that the Argus are also have the supplement in Very their good. paper as well. So yep. people in Dundalk are well and truly the sister paper well. yep mm-hmm. this is it yep. um, and elsewhere in the DI Alison Cumman has a moving article with Tom Marr husband of Jill to mark what would have been their 10th wedding anniversary um, as this is when Jill was murdered in her um, adopted hometown of Melbourne back in September 2012 mm. and in the piece Tom pays a, a really touching tribute to his, to his wife he describes her as a warrior for love life and liberation and he adds that although she's no longer with him he can still feel her presence throughout her life and he talks about the repercussions of the horrific crime mm. and you know what he's had to live with over the last six years. Yeah, isn't it amazing how time goes uh, I'm sure Tom will be saying to himself it feels like yesterday that they were Absolutely. married uh, but for the rest of us uh, to think that it was nearly six, six years, years ago, ago since uh, that brutal brutal murder. Alright uh, to Dundalk next. Um, and in the Dundalk Democrat a guard appeal for witnesses to a double stabbing is the front page news in this week's Democrat. Um, investigations are continuing into an incident that left two men injured one uh, one seriously um, after a row broke out among a group of young men on Nicholas Street on Sunday evening so anyone with information on that has been asked to contact local Gardaí and let's hope they do yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and also included in this week's paper is a detailed look at the housing situation in, in the town and for sports fans Joe Carroll is taking a look at Stephen Kenny's recent programme notes on the dinosaurs of GAA so you can check out the sports page for all the information on that alright uh, another paper in the town the Argus uh, is reporting on the bid scheme this is it and it's telling us that the rate in the town have voted um, overwhelmingly in favour of extending the bid scheme for another five years until the end of 2023 but um, the move's not final as yet because it has to be voted on by local councillors who will have the final say on the issue at their meeting in September but with at least a third of councillors indicating that they would favour the scheme I think it's expected to be extended as such. And then in page 10 as well they have a really interesting interview with the recently elected president of the Students Union at DKIT um, it's Maria Maguire who at 43 years of age is the oldest person to have held the office and also um, the first woman to have held the position in 16 years. So mm. it's a really interesting interview with her and she's speaking at length um, to Olivia Ryan about her role and the problems facing students in, in colleges nowadays. Okay, very good. Sounds very interesting. Let's uh, go to me where focus is on health. Uh, yeah, the front page story is featuring heavy criticism from a prominent GP who's unhappy with the HSC's um, failure to invest in public services, physiotherapy services, sorry. Um, Dr. Marie Scully was telling the paper that overburdened therapists in Navan are only now dealing with referrals um, back from January 2017 and she only kind of became aware of the issue herself and she made inquiries about a referral she had made for one of her own patients. Mm. She was wondering why it had taken so long because I think the patient was waiting something like eight months and they still had heard nothing. Yeah. So she investigated a little bit further and found out that there's a wait of maybe 18 to 24 months for some mm. patients, which is ludicrous in her opinion. All right, and uh, that comes up on foot of uh, the Fianna Fáil figures uh, which are making news today of a million people in this country on waiting lists. Uh, some uh, news from Belibor in the Chronicle as well today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's much coverage of the anger been felt by local community group Belibor says no over the decision made by the 
Beliver GFC club to allow builders working on the new Narcon Centre to use their car park at the football grounds um, for use during the building works. The group are accusing the club of betraying the local community and have been very vocal in their anger about the, the decision. Mm, uh, big uh, story, obviously, and a, a lot of variety across uh, the papers this week. Some very interesting stories all around, and uh, people might want to comment on them. You're going to come back with uh, some of uh, the comments in a, a few minutes' time. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking a little earlier on about uh, the dangers children face using the internet. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, the dangers adults face using the internet when they're driving. In particular, 18 to 34 year olds, one in 10 of all drivers have said that they've Googled something while they're driving and one in four have admitted to using social media. We're joined by Tony Toner, who's a driving instructor with IAMI, the Institute of Advanced Motorists in Ireland. Tony, perhaps the Daily Mail sums this up. It talks about the drivers who check Facebook behind the wheel. Utter madness, says the headline. Morning, Michael. Um... Yeah, Michael, look, it's bonkers. I, I don't think anybody could stand over somebody effectively using a computer whilst they're driving. Uh, you know what I mean? If there's something urgent that they need to do, obviously the, um, the most considerate thing to do, the safest thing to do, is to pull in somewhere, you know, mm. obviously safe again, and, and, and continue on. But like, there's, there shouldn't be anything, dare I say it, in your social calendar or your social network that's so extreme that warrants you using a computer whilst you're mobile. Why so? What's the problem? People do it so they obviously feel safe doing it. Why do you feel they're not? This, Michael, the car is an extension effectively of your house. It's a mobile Mm. living room. It's a mobile office. It's, when you get into your car, it is, you've bought that car. You've you have ownership of it, both physically, financially, and psychologically. So when you sit into the car, you know, the car welcomes you. The smell in the car is your smell, whether it's the, the magic tree or elsewhere, whatever's in it, mm. you know, the leather upholstery, all that stuff. You know, uh, the tactility of the car is yours. It's where you feel safe, secure, where you have, you know, again, this ownership. Um, but... Your living room doesn't do 120 kilometres an hour down the M1. Mm. You know, so when you're driving, you know, we, we've talked many times on your show about the demands of driving, particularly in the weekend gone by and all of that stuff. Yeah. And indeed, the distractions of having children in the car, having sat-navs running, where you have a voice that is directing you. This voice isn't suggesting that you turn left here. It's commanding that you turn left. Mm. And you're mentally hooked into that sat-nav if you don't, if you're not aware of it. And if you're not genuinely uh, able, willing and uh, to override it uh, and not let it be the diktat for you. Because mm. people have driven through red traffic lights because the sat knife has triggered yeah. continue 500 metres. Yeah, well, I mean, and you, and you see people going down one-way streets all the time. I think there was a theory, at least, uh, that somebody drove over the cliffs of Moher because the sat nav had directed them in that direction. Oh, well, God, that's, there is it. That's mm. uh, literally a step too far. Mm. Um, listen, we, we, we live in a, in a world where we have access to a multitude of things literally in the palm of our hands. Mm. Uh, but if we bring that 
accessibility into the very demanding role of driving a car through uh, either motorways or your your all roads. Uh, you know, particularly again around yeah, the catchment area of your broadcast region there, mm. where there are some very demanding uh, all roads and up the old national routes, etc. And um, you want, you know, without turning people into robots mm. and you know, rigid and when they get into the car, nobody's allowed to talk to them and get that and all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, the car yeah, should yeah, be a pleasurable yeah. place to be. You need a level of confidence as well, of course, but then there's the Absolutely. risk of being overconfident. Uh, but uh, it's illegal to hold a, a phone and to use it for texting or emailing or anything like that. Uh, it's not a- illegal, is it, if you're using the carrier to hold it uh, up, on the, uh, up on the windscreen? No, it can't be in your hand. It, yeah. it, it, the, the, the legislation refers to the hand. If your hand's free, you can go on Facebook. Uh, you can turn on your music. You can send an email. You can send a text. You can make a phone call. The vast majority of, of cars in the last three to five years have voice activation on them, Michael. Mm. Uh, you're probably aware of this yourself. Mm. Most people don't use it. And it's voice recognition technology is part of this, what they're calling now AI, artificial intelligence. Um, and you can go on, uh, when you plug your phone in to uh, a modern car, it's got Apple CarPlay and Android mm. on it. So it immediately hooks you into your phone and it's on the center console, mm. on, on effectively the iPad that's now at the center console of most cars. Um, if a message comes through, you can, via the steering wheel controls, access that tech. If you sent me a text message, yeah. right, I can access that message where the voice uh, recognition tech will read out your text and it will ask me, do I want to reply? Mm. And I'd say, uh, just, uh, Michael, I'll ring you later. Mm. And the voice recognition technology will text that message mm. directly back to you without me taking my hands off the steering wheel whatsoever. Mm. Your phone will do that anyway. I mean, most phones will do it, uh, whether it's Siri or uh, the yes. Google app or whatever. But, yes. uh, I mean, at the same time, you, you don't need to bother. You can just uh, tap away on your phone uh, if it, it, it's hands-free, can't you? Anything you do in the car, whether it's it's, it's drinking a can of Coke mm. or having an apple or... A, you know, a, mm. a mocha steaming hot coffee. If that has a, a, a deteriorating uh, def- effect on your ability to drive the car, if it influences your ability to control the car, uh, you know, in any way that's, that's bad, you can be prosecuted for that under the Road Traffic Act. Dangerous driving. Yes. No. Well, dangerous driving is, is obviously, you know, Michael, is a term that is way up to scale. It, mm. is, it is an indictable uh, offence. It's judge and jury stuff. If somebody levies a charge of dangerous driving uh, against you, you are in them in your business in a big way. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not careless driving, uh, you know, which is, you know, nearly as serious. And then due care and attention is probably mm. the one that, it, that would be referred to this. But it does depend on what occurred or what you were trying to do. Like, mm. I see it, and we'd all see it all the time, of, mm. you know, early in the morning, people come out of the garage forecourt, they're after going in, they've gone to the ATM, they've got a, a thing of coffee, they come out, and um, if you talk to any of the people in the power paramedic service, 
they'll tell you, uh, and indeed as well the accident emergency units, of the amount of people who report there yeah. with uh, the nether region scalded with steaming hot coffee. Oh, because God, yeah. where did they put the coffee? Yeah, when they're trying to yeah, go to the yeah, garage? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, between the legs. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. do that one. Lighting a fag and changing the CD at the same time. Listen, well, uh, yeah, our, our, yeah. our time is running out. In the couple of uh, minutes we've left, uh, let's talk about the biggest attractions, though, because it's not the cup of coffee on your lap or your mobile phone. It's yourself and your daydreaming, wandering minds, as they put it, or your passengers. That's terrible, isn't it? 37% uh, are distracted by passengers. Well, look, you know, it depends on how intent it is. If you're, if you're, if you're going to, you know what I mean, dare uh, say, the county final and you have a couple of avid supporters in the back from rival teams, uh, you know, it's going to be lively in the car, as you know. Um, if there's a row going on in the house and you bring it into the car, dodgy, really dodgy, mm. right? If... Um, yeah, if there's a love-in going on in the house and you bring it into the car, that's equally dodgy. You know what I mean? When, yep. you know, distraction is distraction, uh, no matter how it comes from. Um, the we are, we are, we're, Listen, we're human. Uh, when you were driving into the office this morning, a kilometre from headquarters for LMFM in Drogheda, I can tell you, everybody who drove in there this morning downloaded in the head, right, when I go in here, Jeez, I need to go to the loop. God, I need a cup of coffee. God, I must talk to Maggie, right? I must talk, and Maggie said, mm. I must talk to Michael. I must put this. We all do it. Mm. And you'll do it the same when you leave there and you go home this evening. On your approach to home, you'll download, God, when I go in here, yeah, Jerry's calling this evening. Oh, the match is on tonight. Oh, there's a program yep. on. Or mm-hmm. I have to go back out yeah, again. I'm starving. You download. Mm. You, all I'll say to people is don't turn off your concentration. Focus. You turn off the ignition. All right, we leave it on that note of prudence and thank you for joining us. Tony Toner, driving instructor with the IAMI, the Institute of Advanced Motorists in Ireland. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire is back in uh, the studio with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us uh, this morning, this time. And what have people have been saying to you, Maggie? Well, yesterday's interview with Jed Nash, as we said yesterday on the programme, generated a lot of calls. There was a lot of um, calls in that were kind of critical of, of Labour and of not so much Jed, but the party as a general you were asking me were there any comments in that mm. were in favour of him we did have one we have okay. another one mm. um, Pat from Drogheda called in and he was saying that the Labour Party put country before party in that government with Fianna Gael there were only four months left or four months fun four months of funding left then to pay public servants, welfare payments and to fund essential public services such as health and education. The outgoing Fianna Fáil government had left our proud nation in a basket case. The hurlers on the ditch, especially on the left, foolishly play into the hands of the right wing Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael agenda instead of building unity for the socialist alternative. Mm. He's saying scratch Sinn Féin, they're a nationalist movement um, and Jed Nash should be proud of his work on improving workers' rights, on tackling low pay and improving the social agenda. Okay, well I'm not sure that's uh it's correct to say that there was just four months of funding left to, to fund public servants' pay and services and all that sort of thing. Uh, because I think at that stage we were essentially bankrupt. Uh, it was mm-hmm. long past the four months. So we had to put €83 billion Euro into the banks, which meant that we were in debt and in serious debt and needed help. And that's why we got a, a bailout. And uh, we were at the mercy of the Troika. But we had the bailout. We had the money and we had the plan, which was, which was put in place by Fianna Fáil and implemented then by the Fine Gael and Labour government. 
Well, I'll move on to this morning's mm. programme. Yeah. And um, your interview with Fergus as well generated a lot of calls and response in the phone lines. Um, Seamus was on the line to me and he was saying that he feels that there's very little mention of parental responsibility in this whole debate about the issue of consent and sexual education. As far as he's concerned, consent should be taught in the home. It's the job of parents to teach their children how to behave towards others um, verbally, physically and sexually. Um, he's saying, why should such important life lessons be left up to teachers to pass on to our children? These issues aren't covered mm. in the curriculum so it's unfair on teachers to expect them to prepare children on this front that's the role of the parents and that's mm. where he feels the the owner should lie with them rather than you know making it compulsory in school or, or whatever you know the suggestions are he just feels that it's something that should be taught at home first and foremost yeah well i i don't know i mean i think we talked talked a, a lot about parental consent or uh, parental ability or inability uh, to know what to say and when to say it uh, and what type of uh, discussions to be having because when children that young, as young as 10 years of age, are watching hardcore pornography on their phone, watching pornography anyway, yeah. whether it's hardcore or not, I'm sure all of it's hardcore uh, depending on, on your point of view. Uh, but it, it is a, a very difficult issue to contend with and I don't know, I was saying it to Fergus O'Dowd this morning, but I, I thought it was quite interesting to hear young people uh, say that sex education uh, wasn't sufficient in school uh, they didn't feel that they were learning enough from it so they looked at pornography to learn uh, about sex uh, I mean uh, you learn about pornography <laughs> when you watch pornography, pornography yeah. uh, and I don't know if you learn about It's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Normal sexual relations in a, a normal relationship uh, by watching pornography, and uh, perhaps there is where the education is needed to teach young people the difference between what happens in the virtual world and what happens in the real world. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the need to be able to tell the difference between the two, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, staying on that, actually, the issue of internet safety and internet abuse. And um, Bernie called in in relation to your interview with Fergus when you were t- talking to him about his own experience with, inter- with online mm-hmm. abuse and mm-hmm. as he came in for trolling or anything like that, and she said that she. 
she was a victim of it herself at one stage and when she checked the times that the abusive messages were coming in um, like coming in on her laptop or yeah. her phone or whatever mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the calls and messages were coming in in the middle of the night at a time when one internet expert describes as wine wine and dial time yeah. so she you know she realised herself that obviously maybe it's cause and everything were been sent after a few drinks or whatever yeah. had happened mm-hmm. and she believes that many of these trolls send these messages when they've had a few drinks and they have a false sense of bravery or courage so they you know they're able to say what they wouldn't normally say basically and yeah. they're able to do it from the the comfort of a laptop rather than mm. saying it to somebody's face. So. Yeah, uh, and with uh, their identity unknown quite Absolutely, often or a yeah. false identity and, uh, you know, they aren't challenged on what they're uh, saying about people and so on, which uh, makes it all the easier to do. And staying on that subject, David was in contact as well. He feels that it's near impossible to keep children safe on the internet. His children already know so much more mm. than him about computers and technology and they're still only young. So he's saying that once they're teenagers, they'll be so tech-savvy that they'll easily be able to evade any yeah. safety measures mm-hmm. he puts in place on his computer and that's a massive concern for him. Well, it should be, I think, a massive concern for all of us and perhaps uh, he's right, uh, but maybe we should look to see is there a way that we can educate ourselves or talk to them about what it is they're doing uh, because it all comes down to the same type of thing that we've always lived with. I mean, if you're talking about cyberbullying, it's no different than bullying, except mm-hmm. it's done on the internet and on an ongoing basis. And it comes down to uh, respect, uh, as Fergus O'Dowd was saying, uh, quite correctly, I'd have thought, uh, with uh, an awful lot of these things, you learn to respect people or you don't. This is it. And um, we had a co- few calls in in relation to your interview with Paul Gordon from the Irish Cancer Society about the HPV vaccine. Mm. Aoife was saying she it's, it's really just about time that the vaccine was extended to boys um, she feels that giving the shot to just one gender is lopsided and sexist and everyone should be able to reduce cancer risks despite what their gender is. Um, she says she knows that women are more likely to get cervical cancer without the vaccine, but that any risk of cancer can be easily reduced. If it can be reduced, it should be. Absolutely, yeah. I think everybody would agree with that. Uh, the problem is a lot of people don't agree with the vaccine. Well, that's true. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. And then going back to the issue of um, sexual harassment and online abuse, um, Mary is questioning the statistics that say that only 70% of women are reported or have said that they feel sexually um, they've been, they feel they've been sexually harassed at some point. She's saying that surely that number is closer to 100% of everyone including mm. both men and women. She's saying that almost everyone at one stage or another has been harassed in some way, shape or form whether it's a, a women on hen parties grabbing men's behinds or men catcalling women outside a pub the problem she says is that most people shrug these off and don't consider it harassment and that's where we need to make the changes. Okay yeah, interesting point. Okay, and on driving distractions, um, there's a lot of reaction to your mm. interview with Tony. Yep. Um, another Tony feels it's ridiculous how distracted uh, people get, um, or how many distracted people he sees on the road. He says that every time he stopped at a traffic light, he has to beep at the person in front of him. And the lights turn green because they haven't noticed because they're mm. glued to their phone. Yep. He said at least in that situation they've stopped because on plenty of occasions he's seen people checking their phones, making phone mm. calls, and even a number of women employing makeup while travelling at speed through busy streets. Yeah, well that's always a, a complaint. Uh, and uh, I think you do see it on occasion uh, I'm not sure how often you do see it certainly not as often as you see people on their phone uh, despite uh, it being uh, illegal to use a handheld device you see it all of the time and as he says at traffic lights in particular you'll notice that people are looking down at their lap and it's oh, not yeah. their lap that they're looking at well, this is it no. most mm-hmm. times when you're driving at night you can see the glare mm. in the fo- <laughs> of the phone in the car coming mm. towards you like, and yeah. you know that somebody's doing something on their phone well, as so it must be very phone. important whatever they're doing on their phone 
anyway. Yeah, mm. it would have to be really, wouldn't mm. it, to take yeah. your eyes off the road mm. for it? But there you go. Um, and staying on that issue, um, Peter is wondering why people can be so stupid as to check their phones while they're behind the wheel. He's saying people are so addicted to technology. Mm. Why can't they go a few minutes without seeing without having to see some stupid posts or pictures of cats mm. as he puts it or videos of cats mm. or any of that other nonsense that people post mm. on the likes of Facebook and Instagram yeah well we'll take that as a, a rhetorical question uh, I think uh, we can take it as a, a comment rather than a question can't we this is it yeah I think you'd have to be mm. fairly addicted to the internet to be watching cat videos while you're driving mm. but there you go yeah, each well, to their own I suppose well. okay <laughs> we'll leave it on that now thanks Maggie and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us uh, this morning we'll try to come back to some more of uh, the comments before we finish up today now to Patsy McGarry's story on the front page of uh, the Irish Times uh, this morning which uh, tells how Dermot Ahern was approached in 2004 by the Vatican's Secretary of State who wanted to know if the Irish government would indemnify the Vatican against claims of clerical sexual abuse. Patsy McGarry is on the line and good morning to you. I'm sure people will know that Dermot Ahern was a Philophile TD for Louth and indeed government minister at the time. But who was Angelo Sodano? Angelo Sodano was the Vatican Secretary of State at the time, quite a formidable, powerful figure uh, in Vatican affairs. Um, and uh, he, the occasion when this happened uh, was the 75th anniversary of Ireland's diplomatic relations with the Vatican, the Holy See, to use the correct term, which were established in 1929. And uh, Dermot O'Hearn was Minister of Foreign Affairs at the time, and he was coming from Yasser Arafat's funeral uh, and came to Rome uh, on his way to meet Pope John Paul, and he had a private meeting then with uh, Cardinal Sedano, who effectively was Prime Minister or Taoiseach of the Vatican in that role. And that's where the, the Vatican, the, the Cardinal himself had just arrived back from the United States, where they had concluded very substantial settlements with abuse victims there, mm. um, uh, involving hundreds of millions of dollars. And clearly it was on his mind, and, and, and Dermot recalled how very abruptly he asked would the Irish state indemnify the Catholic Church in Ireland against um, compensation claims. And of course, uh, Dermot Hearn was completely taken aback by this, he was thrown by it, that the suggestion should be made at all. And it seems Gardner Sedano was really linking this into the involvement of the Church in education. But Dermot Hearn pointed out something about the separation of powers in Ireland, that we were a republic, he wouldn't uh, consider the idea, he couldn't recall afterwards if they even mentioned it to the government when he went back to Ireland. He didn't do so certainly mm. formally. He may have done so informally, uh, but he may have told the then Taoiseach Berkeley Hearn. And he went on then from the meeting with Cardinal Sedano to meet Pope John Paul. Right. Uh, and uh, when you say uh, he talked uh, about uh, the church's involvement in education in uh, this country, uh, was uh, there a suggestion or an implication or a veiled threat in that? No, it seems to confuse logic. It seems to be the best that can, anybody can come up with on that. Um, I mean, the church, uh, even in that context, the state had limited responsibility. I mean, the, what we're talking about it was the abuse of children in parishes, uh, nothing to do with schools at all. Children, yes, were abused in schools, but that was an entirely separate issue, and it had dealt, been dealt with by the state separately. But this is about clerical child sex abuse. Boys and girls being abused in parishes by priests, where there was no state involvement at all. And clearly it was on the Cardinal's mind, as I said, he came to the United States. But also that summer, at their summer meeting, the Irish bishops were told that it could cost Irish diocese up to 50 million in compensation over the following 10 years. Uh, this is clerical child sex abuse. So that probably was, had been fed into him as well. 
So that appears to have been the context in which all this has happened. And of course, at that time in 2004, the Ryan Commission, which is looking at the abuse of children in reformatories, industrial schools, uh, etc., was underway. Uh, the Ferns Inquiry, looking at, at the abuse of children by priests in Ferns diocese, was underway. And legislation had just been passed that year to enable the state to set up what became the Murphy Commission, which looked at the abuse of children in the Dublin Archdiocese. So um, the Cardinal could see already what was coming down the line, and of course more came down the line. Mm, and a lot more came down the line, uh, and uh, there was payments made uh, to the government. Uh, those payments uh, were controversial uh, because of a, a deal that the Minister for Education at the time, Michael Woods, uh, reached with uh, what was known as the Conference of Religious in Ireland. Uh, this was the umbrella body that represented the religious organisations, 18 of them who were involved in the claims uh, uh, against them. That was in 2002. That deal was only concluded with the 18 religious congregations. It had nothing to do with parishes, nothing to do with dioceses. It has entirely to do with children who were abused in orphanages, reformatories and industrial schools. Uh, and as we know uh, now, I mean, that redress scheme set up by the state, by Bertie Ahern, paid out £1.5 billion, uh, to up over 15,000 people. Uh, average figures of over 62,000 each. Hmm. Um, and, and they deal with the, with the original congregations, which then concluded in very, very odd circumstances in 2002, meant that they paid over only 128 million, hmm. which is uh, minuscule. And I mean, when the Ryan report, which looked at the abuse of children in all these institutions, was published in May 2009, the government of the day, Brian Conn led government, called in all the congregations and said, um, Sean Ryan, the, Justice Ryan, had recommended that they pay half all redress costs. He pointed out this to them and said, come back with a b- better offers. And they offered in combined uh, offer of over uh, 352 million extra, of which they've paid over only 103 million or 29% so far. Right. Uh, and if you take, uh, for example, the little children who were to all intents and purposes, prisoners in the industrial schools, uh, complete innocents who were beaten, raped and uh, abused by members of the religious. Uh, There's no argument, really, that they need to be compensated. And as you say, they were compensated to the tune of 1,500 million uh, and the church paid 128 million out of that 1,500 million. Uh, Who paid the rest, Patsy? Well, you must add to the the 103 million additional that they paid after the Ryan report came out, I mean, which is just 29% of what they promised to pay yeah. afterwards. Sorry to confuse it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the state, the taxpayer, you and I, we pay the rest. Right. And in 2004, wasn't it, uh, the Cardinal had said to Dermot O'Hearn that the church wanted to be indemnified. In other words, wanted to be protected from paying anything. Basically, the idea he suggested was that the, the state, you and I, the taxpayer, should pay it all uh, for pay all compensation for involving abuse by children in parishes where there was no state involvement at no. all. Uh, that was what he mooted to Dermot O'Hearn in November 2004 at that meeting, which, of course, it was quite outrageous, no matter what way you look at it. And it is at a time when the government was under fire. Uh, perhaps uh, this puts that deal that Michael Woods did with uh, the religious in a, a different context. Uh, because as I remember it, uh, that was something uh, that he, he took upon himself to agree with the religious, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I mean, there were negotiations involving the Attorney General's Office, the Department of Finance, 
the Department of Education, of which Michael Wood was the minister at the time, and his secretary general at the time. And really, um, it was one of his last acts as minister for justice, or sorry, education in that government. And he drove that uh, deal. He was clearly in favour of it. Um, and uh, he concluded it without consulting and, and the opposition. I mean, the Department of Finance was opposed to the, the terms of the deal, not believing it was inadequate. The Attorney General wasn't consulted, Michael McDougall at the time. And he went off on his own bat himself and his Secretary General and concluded the deal with the 18 congregations. It has remained very controversial ever since. All right, and Angelo Sodano, as the Vatican's Secretary of State, uh, you say, uh, was akin to the Prime Minister of uh, the Holy See. Uh, 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 so this was at the highest level that uh, you could suggest uh, there was a, an attempt uh, to protect the Church uh, completely financially or to cover up, as the case may be. And it follows on from a claim that was made by Mary McAleese to the Irish Times this week as well. Right. Well, I mean, what he was hoping to do was that the Irish state would, would pay the costs mm. incurred by the church as a result of the abuse of children in parishes. The previous year, indeed, in fact, literally a year beforehand in November 2003, the same Cardinal Sedano proposed a concordat to Mary McAleese, who was then on a, on a state visit to Italy and making a courtesy call to the Vatican. He suggested to her that this concordat should be concluded between Ireland and the Vatican, under which the Vatican would retain control of all its archives in Ireland and in Rome. In other words, the state inquiries then up and running would not have access or could not get access to them. Now, she was appalled by the suggestion, leaving it deeply inappropriate. It has nothing to do with her anyhow as president, and immediately ended the discussion. So Cardinal Sedano had Ireland very much on his mind in those years, 2003, 2004, and the effect of the intent was clearly to minimise the damage to the church caused by the abuse um, uh, involving religious orders and priests. Mm. It must be very hurtful for victims uh, to hear of uh, this attitude from the Vatican. I don't know if it is, to be honest, Michael. I think people are not a one bit surprised. It simply confirms what's suspected to be the case for a long time. Mm. OK. Thanks very much indeed, Patsy, for joining us. As always, Patsy McGarry, Religious Affairs Correspondent with The Irish Times. The Irish Independent is reporting today uh, that Fianna Fáil is looking for the Taoiseach, Leo Radker, and the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, to release files which would outline what health chiefs knew about a suspected link between the swine flu, pandemics, and the sleep disorder, narcolepsy. It follows uh, the story yesterday of how a number of of children received a double dose of the swine flu and that this is now the centre of a, a global controversy which is linking that vaccine to narcolepsy. We're joined by Tom Matthews who's uh, the founder of Sound or one of the founders of Sound, uh, an organisation which has been set up uh, to help people affected by this sufferers of unique narcolepsy disorder. Uh, good morning to you Tom and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you represent 100 young people who you believe have been affected because of the swine flu vaccine. Yes, that's right. Sound does represent that number of people. Um, the first thing I'd like to say, though, as a precursor to any conversation, is that Sound is not anti-vaccine in any way. I mean, that should be mm. out there and up front. But yes, unfortunately, there are about 100 young people in this country have been affected by, by this vaccine in particular. Um, narcolepsy itself is a, a neurological disease um, which affects the ability to control your sleep wakefulness pattern for the rest of their lives unfortunately it's chronic um 
and it, it comes with a list of other symptoms. Hmm. Cataplexy would be a very major part of that. Cataplexy is a, a loss of muscle tone where people can collapse or uh, their, their muscles go weak and potentially can be a very dangerous uh, situation. In addition, they, they suffer from night terrors or night hallucinations, which are very often quite horrible. Hmm. Um, Indeed, the story in the Irish Independent yesterday was of a, a young girl whose family are, are afraid uh, that she'll fall asleep eating and choke. Indeed, that, mm. that would, but that's the possibility. I mean, the, the, the brain it has lost control of whether or not you should be asleep. Most of us just have a normal sleep pattern. Mm. But with narcolepsy, that's gone. And is it that your brain just shuts down uh, and you're asleep all of a sudden without any forewarning? There's very little warning. There were some seconds, possibly, in, in some cases. And as as the children have gotten older, they've learned to, to manage it better, and with some medication, it helps. Mm. But yes, you can lose lose uh, consciousness quite quickly and quite easily, and, it, and quite is, regularly. Is it all-out narcolepsy that you suffer from narcolepsy and, and, and that's the only way to describe it or is there a spectrum uh, are, are there degrees of narcolepsy? No, I would say not. I, I, would, I, I would think that you either have it or you don't have it, unfortunately. Mm. Um, it's, it's controlled by, your sleep pattern is controlled by a neuron in your, in your brain and in this case, this particular vaccine mistook that neuron for the flu itself, the flu virus, so it killed the neuron. And even as we try to reintroduce that neuron into people's bodies, the vaccine does exactly what it should do, and it, it kills it again. So at the moment, there, there is not really much possibility of, a, of a, a, a permanent cure for this. Right. Now, the story the Irish Independent has been reporting on is how some people received a double dose uh, because uh, the swine flu vaccine uh, was given in 2009, wasn't it? Uh, And then when we got to 2011, there was a shortage of the normal flu vaccine. So the stocks of swine flu that were left over were used instead. Is that the gist of it? That is the gist of it, unfortunately, yeah. And it's... It's unbelievable, really. I mean, it was widely known in September '09, two years earlier, uh, that this vaccine had potentially very serious adverse uh, reactions from many people across Northern Europe, in particular. So, for it to be reintroduced into the, into the health system again in 2011 is really quite unbelievable. Uh, and the 100 people, uh, young people, uh, who you say developed narcolepsy, this very serious uh, disease that you've just described to us, uh, was that from having one dose of the swine flu vaccine? Yes, in many cases that was a single dose. As I understand it, there are only three uh, persons affected following a second dose. Right. Um, But but all the more serious that they received a a second dose and quite possible that plenty of people received a a second dose because uh, that was the direction given to GPs. Yes, and that's one of the concerns of the members of Sound. We believe that there are many other people out there who have been affected by this who have not yet received the correct diagnosis. Uh, diagnosis is difficult because many GPs wouldn't be familiar with the condition and would certainly not have ever been presented with a, with a patient suffering from narcolepsy in the normal course of their, their work. So we think that there are quite a few people out there who have been misdiagnosed and are being treated currently for depression or for laziness or for just teenage problems um, because in 
almost all of our own cases of the, of the members of Sound. That's what those families went through, a series of misdiagnoses before it became clear that, that in fact narcolepsy was what the children suffered from. Mm. Um, if it hadn't been for some very, I suppose you'd call them professional and dedicated medical specialists in, in uh, Scandinavia, it's possible this link would not have been, not have been uh, known about for many more years. Because uh, studies uh, took place uh, in some of uh, the Scandinavian countries, uh, Sweden and Finland, was it, uh, first of all? Initially, and then there was mm-hmm. the year uh, organised by Dr. Doreen Fanagan. Um in this country in, in April of 2012, and it con- confirmed that there was a 13-time increase in narcolepsy cases for people who had received the vaccine as opposed to people who hadn't. And that's for people who had just received the vaccine. You, you don't mean people who had received it twice in other words? No, I, I mean a single dose, just one dose. My God. Yeah. Mm. And uh, in, in some cases, people did receive a double dose, but they got it very quickly in possibly up to three or four weeks after the first dose, back in, in 29 and 2010. Um, Am I right in thinking that there were questions uh, about the vaccine at the time, that uh, it, it was a global emergency, that we had this outbreak of swine flu, uh, and that uh, they were sort of testing the vaccines uh, as they went, rather than doing these uh, trials by laboratory and releasing them uh, in the usual way, but the the clock was ticking so fast that there wasn't the time to do the usual testing. Well, that's an accurate summary of what happened. Uh, There was a potential threat of uh, a pandemic. It never, in fact, took place worldwide. Um, But nevertheless, the the, the potential threat was real, and I understand why people had to react quickly Mm. to to, uh, produce a vaccine for this. And we were all terrified. I mean, there were some deaths from swine flu. Yes, there were a small number of deaths, but in fact, there are also a number of deaths from pandemics. So mm. it's it's a it, unfortunately, I suppose one of the one of the concerns we would have is that if this ever happens again, the public should be made aware of the fact that these trials weren't carried out. Mm. The vaccine wasn't, in fact, tested as it should have been, and, and most vaccines are rigorously tested. Mm. It's terrific. Well, I, if I, again, if I remember correctly, the conversation at the time was uh, that we could be watching the world's population deplete because of a pandemic uh, and uh, that it was better to vaccinate than die uh, and then test it afterwards sort of thing. Yeah, but that wasn't put across. In fact, the vaccine was was promoted by the state as being extremely safe and, in fact, very similar to the seasonal flu vaccine, which has been around Mm. for many years. That wasn't true. And uh, unfortunately, I think if you speak to people who now suffer from narcolepsy or their families they would like to have been made aware of that fact prior to receiving the vaccine. But again, just trying to recall uh, back over a decade ago at this stage, uh, the context of this, uh, there was this rush to vaccinate uh, for fear of a pandemic and loss of life. Uh, And as a result of that, uh, the government here decided to indemnify the drug maker. Is that right? Well, the drug maker insisted on the indemnity because if they hadn't given that uh, then they wouldn't have supplied the, the vaccine to the state uh, and that is if you like that's really confirmation of the fact that the vaccine itself hadn't been tested thoroughly enough and pandemrix or the swine flu vaccine uh, was uh, produced by GlaxoSmithKline. what have they been saying about it well they like most people in, in situations where legal 
legal consequences arise, are saying that uh, they can't comment on this, that they, they produced the vaccine in good faith, which I'm sure they did, um, but that they're not really in a position to make any comment about the ongoing uh, result of the, the, the illnesses caused by this vaccine. Mm. And why is this such a, a controversy now? I mean, obviously, uh, there's the suspicion that mistakes were made, the vaccine was given, and as a result of that, there's 100 people, at least, that you know of uh, that have uh, developed narcolepsy. But there's questions now being asked about what happened in 2011. Can you explain that to us uh, and uh, why uh, that vaccine shouldn't have been reissued? Well, I think the, the, the simple fact is that there was knowledge available, uh, if, if indeed not readily available, but there was knowledge available to, to our, our medical experts in this country that the vaccine itself was not safe. That's an undeniable fact. When the vaccine uh, was reintroduced in 2011, as I understand it, there was a shortage of the normal seasonal flu vac, and this was brought in as a kind of a backup. The... The reason it's become controversial now is that the young person in particular who was the subject of yesterday's article in the, in the Irish Independent only recently was vaccinated, was uh, diagnosed with narcolepsy and it became clear from her medical records that in fact the link between the vaccine and the diagnosis of narcolepsy was at the time of 2009 and 2010 and indeed 2011. So it's re-emerged as a controversial issue. It's, it's been controversial in the hundred lives that I know of, of course. all the time, but now it's suddenly has become a, a much more prominent because of the fact that this recent diagnosis indicates that the state continued to use the vaccine right through uh, into 2011 when it was known, widely known, that it wasn't safe. So, uh, I mean, without making a, a judgment, uh, you could suggest that a mistake was made in 2009 but a, a dangerous vaccine was issued in 2011 and knowingly so. I wouldn't accuse anybody of knowingly causing an illness. I, mean, I'm not, I don't believe that's the case but it was at best negligent <laughs> to have done this and, and but, but but that is the question, is it? Was it known? Uh, and uh, I think that uh, appears to be what Fianna Fáil is asking of the government now. Mark McSherry has asked uh, that Leo Varadkar and uh, Simon Harris uh, release uh, information relating to what was known within the health service about the dangers of this vaccine. Well, I believe it was known, yeah. And I believe mm. if, they, if they didn't know it, they should have known it, because it was widely known in Northern Europe and in Scandinavia in particular. Um, and I think this the authorities in charge of health in this country should have known, and if they didn't, uh, that adverse, as I said, adverse reactions were being reported as far back as September 2009, uh, serious adverse uh, reactions, and this wasn't the case in a, a very similar product, also produced by Glaxo, mm. uh, GlaxoSmithKline, but produced in, in Canada rather than in Germany, where, which is where the vaccine that was used in this country was manufactured. Uh, that, that the vaccine that w- was used here contained an adjuvant called squalene, which is a kind of a booster. Uh, it, it means you need less vaccine for the same effect. Mm. And it's suspected that the introduction of squalene into an untested vaccine was what caused the problem. I, I, I don't know that. I'm not a medical expert, but um, that is one one supposition. And, and just 
explain, uh, you have explained the physical uh, effects, uh, but explain uh, the effects that that has on somebody's life. Uh, I mean, if you're falling asleep all of a sudden, I take it you can't drive uh, and there's lots of restrictions on you and probably difficult to get if not uh, hold down a job. I would think so. I mean, in in some cases, people do drive, uh, thankfully, because if they're medicated uh, sufficiently, they will be able to, to to drive and stay awake to do that. But the, the medication is quite strong, obviously, to, to reduce that effect. In some countries in Europe, they're considering withdrawing the driving licence from people who suffer, who suffer with narcolepsy. But that's not the case in Ireland, thankfully. Um, and yes, I have met many other people now with narcolepsy right across Northern Europe, and they do find it difficult to hold on a job. They find it difficult to complete their studies. In some cases, their education has been so badly affected that they, they can't complete the normal education process and to, to achieve enough sufficient points to attain mm. a college place is a real difficulty for some people. There's no question about that. Yeah, and what about the medication itself? Uh, quite often uh, medication like that uh, can uh, have uh, its own adverse consequences. Of course, we mm. worry about that because already these people have suffered from a reaction to a, medical pro- to a chemical product. So yes, I'm, mm. I'm concerned about the fact that they have lifetimes ahead of them now taking what are otherwise illegal drugs. I mean, they're Mm. very, very strong uh, medication will undoubtedly cause some damage. I have no idea what Mm. level of damage it will cause, but I worry about that, of course, yeah. Mm. Okay, Uh, so... What is it that uh, you want to know at the stage? I, I, I mean, you're representing these people uh, who were given something that damaged them. Uh, the question now is, were other people given the same pro- product a, a second time round, uh, knowingly, uh, knowingly in the sense that it was causing damage, uh, because that in itself would be beggar's belief and uh, would have serious consequences. But uh, uh, is it that... That particular aspect of it bolsters the case that you have uh, in terms of looking for some sort of uh, way of uh, addressing the wrong that was done to the people by taking uh, pandemics in the first place. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a very large question. You started by saying, what are we looking for? I suppose what we're looking for really is firstly recognition and an acknowledgement that this damage took place, that these injuries were caused. And secondly, I think the, the states so far have made some remedies and assistance available. There's no question about that, and I thank them for that. But what we've been asking for in sound all the time is a dedicated support mechanism for these people, um, tailored for this particular disease, because what's happened so far is that we've been made fit into boxes that already existed for alternative illnesses and problems. And we've requested that we have a one-stop shop. Each family deals with each department individually on an individual basis and goes through the same difficulty with each department on a, on every level. What we want really is a one-stop shop, one person dedicated to helping these people fit into what is the Irish system okay. for medical support. And the second thing that Sam mm-hmm. wants to achieve is to raise the level of awareness. As I said, I'm very concerned that there may be many, many other people out there who suffer from narcolepsy and have not yet been diagnosed. Um, the, the publicity that, that arose following this vaccination certainly helped diagnosis of the people who've already achieved that uh, diagnosis. But and are, are you looking for accountability as well? Of course, mm. of course, there has to be accountability. If, if there isn't accountability, then 
then the system just doesn't work at any level. I mean, I understand that, as I said earlier, the, the, there was an urgent demand and need for vaccination to be brought out. There was a real threat. They, they perceived it to be a real threat of a, of a pandemic, a global pandemic. And yes, they reacted, and that's that's what they should do. Mm. What they should now do is deal with the people who are injured by that process. Uh, and it's a very, very small cohort of people, even if, as I suspect, it's double the size that we now know about. Mm. But it's still a very small cohort of people, and I think they deserve the the, uh, the respect and the treatment that they're due from the state. Okay, Tom, I have to leave it there, but thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Tom Matthews is one of uh, the founders of Sound, uh, that's uh, the sufferers of unique narcolepsy disorder. Well, we have uh, climate change commitments uh, which seem impossible to make, uh, but a reporter from uh, the Department of Finance has started a conversation about how excise duty is charged on fuel and if motorists should pay tax on petrol and diesel that they buy at the pumps or if they should pay for the damage they do to the environment based on the amount of miles they travel. This is being dismissed by most commentators at at this stage and Barry Aldworth, Senior Media Officer with AA Ireland joins us. Uh, Barry, in some ways it seems a fair thing to do and it's already in place for trucks it would seem in some European countries, so why can't we do it here? I suppose ultimately what we have to consider here is already the fact we have quite a substantial tax burden placed on motorists at the pumps so the concern would be around adding to that further so what, what a lot of people mm. don't know, for every litre of petrol you buy, whatever you pay at the pump, about 60% of that is made up of various taxes. Now, the distance charging method that's being proposed seems to be something that governments are considering in light of the fact that we are slowly moving towards electric cars and that that's going to become more and more the case over the next couple of years. And what will eventually happen is that as we have less fossil fuels powered cars on the road, there's less people buying petrol, less people buying diesel, and that there will be a tax shortfall. Mm. So right now, motorists contribute about $2 billion in taxation to government just on the petrol and diesel that they buy. So the concern will be, and understandably, governments have to cover that in some way, shape or form. But this is being spread out uh, across all motorists at the moment. And if somebody takes uh, the car out on Sundays only or just as a runaround, they're paying extra for their fuel so that they're subsidising people who drive huge amounts on an ongoing basis. Well, I suppose ultimately we already have a distance charging methodology in place in terms of what you pay at the pump. So the more you drive, the more petrol you're going to use, the more the more you're going to pay at the pump, the more taxation you are going to pay. So essentially, distance charging already exists. It's just a case of to what extent we can look at changing that taxation system and I mean, look, it's never a bad idea for government to have these discussions, at least, and to ha- look at what is coming down the lines with motoring. Because like I said, eventually we're going to get to a place where electric cars are the most common c- kind of car on mm. our roads. And that so seems to be what's driving this, that you won't be getting tax on fuel because uh, you'll be plugging your car in. Absolutely. And then that will lead to a revenue shortfall that has to be covered. So I applaud government for the fact that they are looking further down the line than you know just next year that they are looking at this as 10 15 20 years down the line 
but the concern you have when it comes to distance charging is the potential impacts it can have on rural communities and how it can negatively affect rural communities to a much greater extent. Because if you look at rural Ireland, really a lot of people don't have an alternative to the private car. That's because of a history of governments not investing in rural public transport to the necessary extent. So people are put in a situation where they have to rely on their car to get to work and it now looks like they could potentially be paying higher taxation and because they have to drive further to make up for the fact that governments haven't given them an alternative to their private car. Uh, and that's it. It's many of uh, the commuters who feel they'll suffer and some of those at least would feel that they have to commute because uh, they can't afford to live near where they work. Uh, and the AA has published one of uh, the survey of the members that you do on an ongoing basis. This is a survey of over 5,000 people and the vast uh, majority of them have concerns about owning uh, property themselves. One in six wonder if they'll ever own a home. Yes, I think quite startling when you think of the figures in that way, that one in six people questioning whether they'll ever get on the property ladder. That figure climbing even further if you look at the younger generation. So if you look exclusively at those under 35, you actually have about 18% who fully think the home ownership is beyond them and another 15.5% somewhat sceptical of their chances of owning a home. And these two things, when you look at them, they might appear like they're very different topics, but they do come back to each other. People who want to get on the property ladder, if they're working in urban areas, are often finding themselves forced further and further away from those areas in order to purchase a property. They then still have to get to work because they want to contribute to the economy, but they then potentially face a distance charging, which just on the face of it doesn't seem to work. And I think the other concern with distance charging as well is just how enforceable it actually is. Mm. Because at the moment, it's very easy to tax motorists based on how far they drive because we pay taxation at the pump. Yep. But if we, don't, if we no longer do that, which seems like will be the case in the, in the near future, then are we relying on people to self-report their mileage or do we have to heavily invest in something which will do that job for us which potentially comes at a much greater cost. Okay, we have to leave it there. Thanks indeed. As always, Barry Aldworth, Senior Media Officer with AA Ireland brings our programme to its conclusion today. The podcast of today's programme will be available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Maggie McGuire for researching and Ross Leahy in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. 
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.